And we are going to read this morning from Acts 6, verses 1 to 7. Thanks, Nige. Okay, has everyone got one that wants one? And it says this, seven men chosen to serve. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Let's pray. Father God, we pray for us this morning. We pray that we would have open ears and open hearts to receive your word, to be challenged and to be encouraged. Thank you, God, that we are so very privileged to be able to meet like this together so publicly to read your word and to hear from you. Father, let us not take it for granted, but let us just have ears that hear. Amen. Okay, as I just sort my notes out, if you can please just say a quick good morning to the people around you. And I would like you to find out from them... If they were to go to a cafe or a restaurant right now, what is the one thing that they would like to be served? Okay, very good. Settle down. You've all become very rowdy at the thought of food and drink. Let's move back to a holy frame of mind. Now, I would love to be able to say that whatever you said you'd like to be served, we will miraculously make that happen. We're not going to do that, but there will be tea and coffee after the service. Very good. This Christmas, our son, Bear, he's the one with the very blonde hair who likes to wear the pink wellies. He received a toy kitchen from Sam and I. 
Um, I say that we gave it to him, but actually it was pre-loved for many years by the Marsh family. And when they passed it on to us, it is stocked full of every sort of kitchen and food-related accessory. It's an absolute child's dream. And it was just there, ready and waiting to delight our children the same way that it delighted Jocelyn, Phoebe and Naomi. And honestly, it's become one of the absolute favourite toys in our house. It's played with every single day in a hundred different ways. We have cakes that are baked, breakfasts that are made, ice creams are sold, kitchen fire emergencies occur, plumbers and builders are required to fix the units and the taps, the list of games goes on and on. But by far, the favourite scenario acted out by all the children apart from Iris, whose sole interest in the kitchen is to wreak havoc and empty everything onto the floor. But the older three children and their friends love to play cafes or restaurants. So myself or Sam will sit somewhere, we will be given a menu, we will choose what we would like to order, and then they serve us. Now, I really wanted to be able to give you an insight into what this kind of play looks like in our house. Because let me tell you, it is a lot of fun. It's also noisy, chaotic and messy. Unfortunately, going through my phone to look for photos and videos, for some reason, the only photos and videos I can find, Bear is wearing nothing but an apron. That's it. So I've chosen to not use those photos and videos this morning. So instead, I thought I would use a clip from one of our favourite kids' shows, Bluey. Anyone here watch Bluey? I feel like all the parents have gone out. If you don't watch Bluey, you need to watch Bluey. Um, And this is an episode called Fancy Restaurant, and this is how it goes in our house as well. I'd like to make a booking, please. Name? Romeo. Oh, what was it? McFlourish. McFlourish, of course. Okay, great. See you soon. Hi. Do you have a booking? Yes, McFlourish. Oh, yes. Right this way, please. Finally. Smooth, Romeo. I have, of course, taken you to the fanciest restaurant in town. Bake, bake! Oh, dear. Not yet, Chef Bingo. Have they smoochy kissed yet? No, not yet. I'm so sorry. Cheers, you. Now, these are the menus. You also have some forks and spoons. Told you this place was fancy. Now, what would you like to order? Could you tell me what the special is? Hmm, I'm not sure. I'll check with the chef. Hey, chef! What? What's the special? The what? The special! The what? There's no special. I'll just have the baked beans then. Very good. I'll be right back. Please enjoy your cutlery. Ah, uh, excuse me. I'll be right back. Hey, dodgy brothers, haven't you got anything other than baked beans? What's wrong with baked beans? Well, they're not very romance. Hmm. Yeah, I guess we could make something else. Something special? Yeah, something special. Ooh, and I'll play some romance music. (laughs) Leave it to us. Now go and do a smoochy kiss. Hey! Oh, I'm back. So, has the romance started yet? Very soon, my darling. Uh... What's your name again? Oh, super smooth. Oh, what's this? Some romance music. Oh, it's lovely. 
And so that episode continues that eventually the children, Bluey and her sister Bingo, do make a special. They find everything they can in the cupboards. They dump it on one plate and Dad heroically eats it all to save Mum, who declares that the most romantic thing anyone has ever done for her. And the episode ends with Dad running into the garden to be sick. Now, I'm pleased to say that so far, Sam and I haven't experienced anything that dire in our cafe playtime with our kids. However, we do generally find a similarity in their eagerness to serve us, but only if they're able to serve us in their way with the food they choose. So I am usually given a choice, and I'm encouraged to verbalise what I need and what I'd like. I cannot fault their eagerness, their creativity, or their devotion to the creation of their dishes, But nine times out of ten, they serve me what they want, or they change my order to what's easier for them. In fact, once or twice, I have been told that if I really insist on being served what I've originally asked for, then I can just go and make it myself. Now, when preparing for this week's sermon, Called to Serve, these play scenarios have given me a lot to think about. I feel like we as Christians talk a lot in Christian circles about being servant-hearted, serving Christ and serving others. But what does that really mean? What does God actually ask of us? How should the church effectively and obediently serve as opposed to doing what Bear often does when we play cafes together? Changing what he serves me because it's easier for him. Serving me in the way he wants because he's already made up his mind. Adding extra things in that I didn't actually ask for or require because it's more interesting for him and makes him look busier. Just asking or expecting myself or someone else to serve me when it suits him. The passage of scripture we're looking at today, as we've just read, comes from Acts chapter 6. Here we see the early church and it is growing daily. Jonathan was talking last week about how as Christians and as the church, we are called to grow. And here we see a church that is truly living out that calling. But as the church grows, it experiences some growing pains. It says here, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Now, as God adds to their number, it's very clear that not all these people are the same. Some had a Hebrew background, while some have got a Greek background. And this difference has shaped how the different groups went about their day. It's resulted in the Greek widows being overlooked. Now, I don't think that this was an intentional oversight. Usually in churches, problems or niggles are definitely unintentional. There is no such thing as a perfect church because all churches are made up of imperfect people like you and I. There will always be internal debates and disputes and here we see such a dispute. So we have the Hebrew Christians. These are probably local Jews who have converted to Christianity. And we also have the Greek-speaking Christians. These are probably Jews from other lands who had been converted at Pentecost. Now, possibly because of the language barrier, somehow it has appeared that the Greek-speaking widows are not receiving equal treatment with regards to the food distribution. So let's recap. The early church has increased in size, something all churches, I think, would love to do. How amazing. But as it has increased in size, so has its needs. 
This is really, really important for us to read, to understand and to put this information in our hearts and brains. If we do want to follow God's calling and we want to be a church that grows, then we need to be prepared to see our needs grow as well. Now, this cycle of growth and increased need is something we can become aware of in all areas of life. I'm sure you've seen it in your workplaces. As your workplace grows, you see more needs arise in your schools, in homes, even in countries. If you see a population boom, there is an increased need for resources. In our own family, we've seen this very clearly. As most of you know, we now have four children. The eldest is eight, nearly nine, and the youngest has just turned one. I love my family very, very much. However, the increased growth has definitely increased the need in our home for so many things. Extra food, clothes, quiet, definitely need more quiet. And above all else, the need for cleanliness, for order, and for tidiness. Most of you know the Lou family here and the O'Leary family as well. So we all have four children and myself, Anya and Sarah often talk amongst us about how, to be honest, 99% of our week is devoted to folding laundry. Honestly, my least favorite task. I have a lot of energy for the washing, a lot of energy for the drying, possibly even the ironing if there's a good program on, but the folding and putting away, I have no time for it, honestly. Now this pattern is one that is confirmed in our family and confirmed in the Bible passage we're looking at. You've got increased growth, which equals increased need. And then you start to see problems arising to the surface, like bubbles. In our home, those problems were things like everyone feeling a little bit stressed, things starting to go missing if people hadn't tidied away correctly, Um, Lots of nagging from Sam and I about the kids staying on top of what they needed to do. So then you get to a point where you say, what do we do now? We know that there's been increased growth. We know that that has made increased need. We've seen these problems. How do we solve it? I think the answer to this question in our home, and I think in this passage as well, is there has to be the acknowledgement that increased need requires increased service. Now, in our house, I could somehow strive to fulfill all the needs alone, but I think I would burn out really quite quickly, actually. Sam works full-time, I work part-time. We have four children with all of their activities, all of their needs, and somehow in all of that, I also need to make time for myself and to be what I was first called for in that family, which is to just be a mum. So I need everyone in our house to get stuck in and serve together. Yes, I will take the bulk of it because that is the exhausting but privileged position God has given me as our primary homemaker. But I need the rest of my family, my little tribe, to also serve and take some small weight from me of the things that perhaps I could do without being distracted by. By doing these things, they will allow me to be more effective in the things only I can do and free me up to concentrate on fulfilling that main purpose, to be mummy. So this is the system we currently have, give you an insight into our family. So this is our fridge. We've got a number of um, cut-out cardboard squares 
not very professionally, uh, not a very professional resource. And each one has a different chore written on that needs doing throughout the week. So it's things like keep the shoe and coat area tidy, do the recycling, feed pig. We don't have an actual pig. That's the guinea pig. Um, We're very creative with names, as you can see. Uh, Make your bed in the morning. Um, Help fold laundry, set the breakfast table, etc., etc. On a Sunday night, the kids choose which chores they want for the week. Um, As you can see, Leo and Ivy have the same amount, and Bear has slightly less because he's smaller. And this is then what it looks like. Just a couple of examples. We've got Leo there doing the recycling. That's his favourite job because quite often he accidentally chucks two glass things on top of each other in the bin and they smash. It's amazing how often that accidentally happens. And we also have um, on the right-hand side, this is us um, baking together. So as a family, we said we were going to cook for the discipleship course that was happening in Highley. And we really want to include our kids in understanding why we do stuff like that. So they volunteered to make the um, dessert Um, some of which looked very dodgy, but did they taste all right? Great, you're braver than me. I didn't eat them, so great. But it was all clean, just to make sure. There is one person um, currently exempt from the chores list, and that's because she's a little too young right now, and also because her current way of serving the family often looks like this. This is her. We have to keep the bathroom door tightly shut. Because her favourite thing is either to eat toilet rolls like apples, gross, or to post them all in the toilet. So that's why she doesn't have chores yet. Anyway, let's relate this back to Act 6. So this church, this early church, they have seen increased growth. And they have seen from that an increased need. There are more people that need to be part of this food distribution And they have seen a problem has started to emerge, which is somehow, they're not sure how, an inequality has arisen. And some people are feeling that they are not being treated fairly or equally. So what do they do as a church? As I said about me in my own home, the apostles could have quite easily said, right, we're the leaders of this church, we're going to take this on, we are going to, we're just going to sort this out, we're going to um, put more on our plates, but that wouldn't have been the most effective way to sort it. So instead, they realised that increased need requires increased service. Now the apostles in verse 2, they're not being harsh, they're not being hard-hearted, they're not being lazy or selfish, saying that they can't do it. They are wisely understanding that they cannot do everything and still stay true to their original calling. Increased need requires increased service. So what do they do? This is verse 3, and it says this. Sorry, I haven't got my glasses on, so I can't read up there. Verse 3 says, And so, brothers... This is the apostle speaking. Select seven men who are well respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. You see, ministry in our church is meant to be holistic, meeting both spiritual and physical needs, not just within our own doors, but out there in the community as well. But we as individuals are not each gifted to do all things. This is why Paul writes elsewhere that there are different parts of the body, each with its own function. 
The apostles needed to focus on spreading the word of God. Others were needed to care for the widow's needs. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4 says this, and we know this, these verses very, very well. It says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. This is really clear that we shouldn't order gifts or work for God in some kind of hierarchy. There is no more glory for those of us who are able to lead something up front than for those who quietly serve in the kitchen doing teas and coffees. All of it is for God. He sees it all. So what does the rest of this passage teach us in this church about our call to serve? I think these things. Firstly, each part has a vital each person has a vital part to play in the life of the church. Your service is not just nice, but it is necessary. If we want to see this church grow, if we want to welcome more people through the doors, if we want to get out into the community, then we need to serve. It is not just nice, it is necessary. Secondly, and this is a hard one for us all to learn, the fulfillment of church needs aren't necessarily the things you imagine are needed to grow the kingdom. There are all all sorts of things in the church that everyone wants to be part of because they seem like the more fun jobs. Maybe they seem like the jobs that get more recognition or maybe they seem like the jobs that are a bit more holy. But actually, there are things required in our church that people often forget about or don't think are necessary for growing the kingdom that are just as necessary, if not more. We need to be looking for those areas and stepping forward to serve. The next one, responsibility needs to be released. If you oversee a part of church life and someone comes to you and they want to serve in an area that takes responsibility away from you, then we need to be light-fingered. We need to be able to release it. Yes, of course, there should be accountability, potentially some sort of mentoring, but we need to be light-fingered. And if it is our time to step back from a certain job or a service in the church, then we need to gladly and joyfully release that responsibility. Offer your gifts in service to him. And we heard this morning during the testimony time a few words about our gifts and about us not being fearful of the gifts that God has given you. If God has given you a gift, then use it. And the Bible has so much to say about gifts. I won't go into it now, but just to um, touch upon one, I spend a lot of time working with Ali and Sam in the office. Um, I have quite often, I um, take over Richard's desk and he has nowhere to sit. Um, But you serve well in that area, Richard. Thank you. Uh, And I am just in awe at the gift of administration that Sam and Ali have because I do not have that gift. I really struggle with admin. I really struggle to prioritize it because I don't enjoy it and I find it tricky. If you have a gift in this church, then use it because that is what makes us a body. 
There's a great quote that says, we do not possess gifts for our own sake, but rather for the sake of others. Next one, God loves our service, but he still has requirements for those who serve. In this passage, it talks about the men who are selected. It says they are well-respected, they are full of the spirit and wisdom. Now, we often use this passage to talk about deacons, people who are raised to um, specific positions of leadership in our church. But this morning, we're looking at this passage to speak to all of us. And I think that we must make sure that we don't read this verse about the men who are well-respected, full of the spirit and wisdom, and think, ah, I'm not very well-respected. I'm not very full of the spirit, and I'm not very wise, so I'm let off the hook Actually, no, that's the wrong way to think about this. We should be aspiring to work to get those things. Let's ask for more of the Spirit. Let's ask God to give us more wisdom. Let us act and speak in ways that make us well-respected. Another one, if you can see or you can empathize with a problem or a need in the church then don't complain about the fact that there is a problem. Don't complain about the fact that no one is doing that. Get stuck in. Let's look at the men who were chosen in verse 5. If you read the list of those names, it is clear that these men were also Greek. They had a Greek background. They're Greek names. They're Greek Christians. They were chosen because they understood and empathized with the problem that had arisen. They wanted to look after their own people. If you see something in the church that is a problem or a need, then get stuck in. That's your call to serve. And there is a specific, a specific um, challenge here as well for leaders, leaders within our church, ministers and other areas of leadership. If you're overwhelmed by responsibility then start by determining your God-given abilities and priorities. The apostles' priorities were teaching the word. And they they make that very, very clear. Their, their, Their priorities are to teach the word, to grow the church. The ministry of the word should never be neglected because of administrative burdens. Our pastors and ministers shouldn't try or be expected to do and be everything. The work of the church must be spread out amongst all its members. And the last thing to remember is that the cycle just begins again. This passage ends with this amazing verse that says, So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. The cycle begins again. There was growth. There was need. It called for more service. So there was more growth. There will be more need. It will call for more service. And it goes on and on and on. And just to end with this. So what, what are we meant to think is more important? Is growth more important? Is it more important to have a church that's called to growth? Or is it more important to have a church that is called to serve? I think we need to not think about either of those and instead just focus on Jesus. What is more important? It's Jesus. This week on Instagram, Pete Gregg, 
the guy who started up the 24-7 prayer movement, he shared um, a really, really interesting post. Um, and I've just got a little quote from it here. And I'm sorry it's small. I can send all these slides around small groups. He said this. He said, honestly, I'm a little tired of celebrity pastors and the constant stream of scandals and the swagger of many mega churches. I'm troubled by the loud applause we give to pride and mere efficiency, the dearth of simple kindness, humility, and mess in the way we build community. Since when was the measure of a church's success its size instead of its love, its budget instead of its sacrifice, its seating capacity instead of its sending capacity? Can we please all just put down our spreadsheets and our smartphones for a moment and simply remember Jesus. I love the church too much, and we actually need the church too much to leave her the way she is. The world needs a church in every community that does the works of Jesus, looks and sounds like Jesus, and models true family for those who feel lonely and lost. In other words, we owe the world a church much more beautiful than itself. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now um, as a church, as a community of believers who um, desperately and wholeheartedly want to see more people know and love Jesus Christ. We want to see that growth for you. We want to see believers coming into the kingdom of God But Father, we come before you this morning and we just ask for humility. I pray that we would come to you on our knees and recognize that if that is the dream that we have for our family, for our friends, for our neighbors to come to know Christ, to come and join our church, then we must acknowledge that there is going to be an increased need. God, I pray that you would help us to recognize that it is our responsibility to help fulfill those needs. We ask your forgiveness for the times that we have not served when we should have done. We ask your forgiveness from the times that we have done too much in the name of God and have instead um, made other people feel they can't serve or we have burnt ourselves out or we have lost our focus from the main thing. Father, we thank you for incredible passages of scripture like this. Just seven verses that can teach us so much about the way you would like us to be as believers and as a church. Father, would you speak to us now, to each one of us individually? Would you speak to us about the ways that we can give more freely? And Father, we just... Pray over those words that Pete Gregg spoke. Since when was the measure of a church's success? Its size instead of its love. Its budget instead of its sacrifice. Its seating capacity instead of its sending capacity. I pray you would help us to put down our spreadsheets and our smartphones and simply remember Jesus, the ultimate servant who gave all of himself. I'm just going to finish, while we're sat in quiet reflection, I'm just going to finish by reading 
over us the words from Philippians 2. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father.'" 